All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome in to Daily Faceoff Live, your go-to source for everything hockey, live every weekday at noon Eastern. Things are happening. Welcome into Daily Faceoff Live. It's a Thursday, June 22nd edition of Daily Faceoff Live. He's former NHL netminder, current Daily Faceoff analyst Mike McKenna. Mike, how you doing? I'm great, Frank. You got your bags packed and ready to head to Nashville here coming up soon? Little Not yet. Excited? Oh, Too many okay, things on minute. the plate. And Mike, <laughs> as always, Daily Faceoff Live is brought to you by Botano. Check out their award-winning state-of-the-art app. They have hundreds of betting options for events and try same-game parlays with their bet builder, also live in-game betting, and the most competitive odds on the market. Botano, the game starts now at botano.ca, 19-plus. Please play responsibly. Mike, so much to get to. Chock full show today. 30 minutes of pure hockey talk. And uh, let's dive in with the Calgary Flames. Some news this morning coming from our end at Daily Faceoff about ooh, some tough news for the Calgary Flames. This might be a really trying summer uh, for Craig Conroy as he s- fills in the chair, the GM chair with the Calgary Flames. As it seems right now at this exact moment in time, that Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, and Michael Backlund are all unlikely to re-sign with the team. Again, reminder, caveat, the usual, can change. However, I'm told the Flames made a big pitch to Elias Lindholm recently, I think this week. Uh, they've rolled out the red carpet. They let him know how much they want to have him. He's sort of the guy that I think is lingering out there as maybe the biggest linchpin to all of this as a complete center. And 
they haven't gotten an answer yet. But I think speculation around the league, Mike, is that Lindholm is unlikely to re-sign in Calgary. It's been a lot more clear for Noah Hannafin, who has told the team, I'm told, point blank, I don't have plans to re-sign here. So at least that's one box that's kind of checked off for Craig Conroy, not to say that Hannafin will definitely be traded or anything like that because he does have one year left on his deal, but he at least has a decision and also heard from the Michael Backlund camp, which was maybe the surprise wrinkle in all of this, Mike, for someone who's been there for 15 plus years in the organization that he also at this moment in time is unlikely to re-sign in Calgary. So Mike, there's so many things happening. And I guess my next question is, what would be the trickle-down effect after this? Well, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, basically what you're looking at with Calgary is that they've tied their bow to Huberto and Kadri for the next six years and then even beyond with Huberto. And so in my eyes, you've got to try to move Hannafin as soon as you can. And if Lindholm is really going to turn down that contract offer and Backlund as well, like Frank, that's two of the top centers for the Calgary Flames. So you're stuck with just Kadri, basically. So it's not just that the Flames are going to maybe move these players out, but they're going to have to backfill with some serviceable players on top of that. And Lindholm, being a complete 200-foot player, he's a top-two center uh, for any team in this league, and there's such a premium at that position, Frank. There's going to be no shortage of suitors out there. I think of Columbus and St. Louis, teams right off the bat, Minnesota that needs centermen. He fits that bill. Um, But Backlund did surprise me, Frank, at 34 years old, I have to wonder what he could be looking in his next contract if he just wants to leave town. It just doesn't bode well for the overall vibe of Calgary right now. Yeah, and I think maybe that's the hardest part. Backland, as you mentioned, knocking on the door of 20 goals again last season. Uh, The Flames, they have a lot of questions to answer, and they're waiting on an official or sort of firm answer from Lindholm one way or the other as to what they'd like to do. And maybe that's the toughest part for Craig Conroy, Mike, is that he went into this summer wanting to run it back, wanting to bring this whole team back, wanting to re-sign everyone. And he's kind of now sitting and waiting for some of these guys to make decisions The power doesn't really rest in his hands at this exact moment. Yeah, and the hard part is that, you know, you want to be competitive right out of the gates. Well, if that's the case, you would also be signing Lindholm and Hannafin, even though Hannafin's not coming back. Even if you wanted to keep that same core, you're probably getting them in their late 20s or early 30s for a lot of it. So in some ways, this might actually be good for the franchise to force their hand and jumpstart something of a retool, but you're losing players that you really don't want to. And for me, especially Lindholm, if he decides to move on. Yeah, it's so hard to get equal value for what you think Lindholm brings. Those guys, number one centers, even lower end number one centers, don't grow on trees. Looking at an $8.5 million deal, I think, on the open market times eight years, um, it's going to be tough to get a player of that value back to the plug right into your lineup, which is what Calgary prefers. But, Mike, to this point, uh, speaking to general managers around the league, sources say the Flames have not engaged in trade talks yet on Lindholm. Anyone that's called and asked has been told we are still trying to re-sign them. My question is how long does that continue? Let's talk about the Vancouver Canucks move west in Canada and go to the lower mainland where Patrick Alvin held his uh, press conference pre-draft availability on Wednesday where among the myriad of things he told reporters, what caught my eye, Mike, was that the Canucks, who are picking at number 11 next Wednesday night in Nashville, have 
also said now publicly from Alvin's lips that they'd like to try and find a way to move up. My question to you is looking at the top 10, none of those picks which have changed hands to this point, where are they going to do it and how? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering the same thing because look at the teams that are in the mix up there. Like, you know that Chicago, okay, they're not leaving Bedard at first overall, but even down the depth chart here, Columbus, San Jose, Montreal, Arizona, they all need these players. So does Philadelphia. I mean, the only one that even enters my mind that could be entertained might be the St. Louis Blues and, and potentially Detroit if they were going to swap, maybe wash, but you're only gaining two to three spots. But in this draft, though, there is kind of a consensus it seems like that the top 10 is a little bit different than from 10 on down and if you get into that five to yeah you get into that five to ten slot you know maybe you can get a zach benson who is undersized finished second in the whl and scoring to only connor bedard maybe you go after david reinbacher who's the best defenseman in the draft matvey michkov could even drop into that spot i just can't help but wonder how the canucks plan on doing this they don't have um, really the extra pick. They don't, they don't have a second round pick. They do have extras in the third or fourth round, but that's not going to help you get higher up into the draft here, Frank. So like, could this possibly be a smokescreen for something or is this just wishful thinking on Vancouver's part? I oh, I definitely think they're trying. Um, what I would say is I also think the Canucks are trying to do a bunch of things at once if this makes any sense. They're trying to get better. They're trying to get younger. They're trying to shed salary. They're trying to spend money. They're trying to do all of these different things at once. It kind of feels like Patrick Alvin and his team are are drinking through a fire hose, so to speak, trying to do all of this. And sometimes when you do all of that at once or attempt to, you end up kind of sometimes getting nowhere. You end up trying mm-hmm. to do so much that you end up doing nothing. It does not seem focused at all. I mean, and that's, listen, Jim Rutherford, who's we haven't heard from on this as, as much as Alvin, he's always been a horse trader. Like, he's been willing to make moves, but it's been stagnated. And if they're really going to move up, like, they're going to have to part with a prospect to do that, probably. Hallglander, put Coles in, Ratu, they're going to move more, to Archer more than that like, in this year's like, draft. You can't, right. So you're going to have to lose a top prospect and a pick, like, I just, I don't know, man. I think they need to focus what their attention is here. And if they get number 11, that's still a pretty good pick. If they want to construct the roster to be better, they need to figure that out in first order. Yeah, and I guess the joke from Vancouver fans after hearing that the Canucks would like to move up was maybe you should have just lost a few game, few more games this season. That would have kind of solved that too. Uh, let's talk about the Chicago Blackhawks. I have a feature story today dropping on dailyfaceoff.com that I've been working on for a while. All eyes on the Blackhawks heading into next Wednesday night's draft. Uh, of course, they have that number one overall pick and are expected to select Connor Bedard and make him the future face of their franchise. Here's the thing. Um, I, they're also working on a lot of different things behind the scenes, Mike. And so I have some uh, mm-hmm. interesting insight into that, that they've been working on an internal app and information system, so to speak, that kind of is in the same vein of what the Chicago Cubs tackled uh, a number of years back under Theo Epstein 10 plus years ago that was called Ivy. And so allow me to introduce you today on later today on dailyfaceoff.com to Madhouse, which is what the Blackhawks have been working on internally. And it's not just an information system where they can call up the app and find out everything that's in their system and files about a prospect or a player and watch every shift. 
But also just what's interesting to me in talking to Kyle Davidson and Jeff Greenberg, their assistant GM, it was learning really the things that they're trying to solve for, knowing that they are wading into this process that expands way beyond the number one overall pick to solve for answers that may not exist, to find out how do you measure development? How do you know what's the best path moving forward in terms of integrating AI into hockey related decisions? And I think, Mike, what stands out to me is the Blackhawks interest in trying to get to a better way to make decisions at the NHL level that really stands out. Well, yeah, the Blackhawks didn't just hire more scouts. They hired a bunch of nerds. You know, they've got six full-time developers and data scientists working on this project. And, you know, for me, coming from the hockey side, but having an appreciation for analytics and what AI might be able to bring to the NHL is that you're seeing things through that that you can't just see with your traditional scouts. You're adding layers to it and you're adding a lot of groupthink. But you're trying to come to a similar conclusion at the end of it. And um, for me, it's it's taking a lot from baseball with the knowledge that in baseball, it's still a very individual sport. It's pitcher against, against it's batter. It's too. It is. And, but in hockey, there's so many variables to it. And that's why, Random, like you say, they're made. Yeah, yeah there's they're, players that are on the ice, off the ice at different times, five on five. It's there's a million zones. things to it that make it so different. Right. And that's why, you know, this stuff is going to have value. Um, but I think the Hawks are also going to find, too, that you still have to have that great scouting core. So I love that they're adding this layer to it uh, and trying to mesh the two together to build out uh, the best system they possibly can, starting from junior college through Rockford on up to the NHL. Yeah, and Rockford's going to play a significant role in that development model as well. And you'll hear the uh, Blackhawks brass and brain trust say in the piece, they really, really value the, the old school traditional scout. You're going to have to take the objective and the subjective and the best teams in baseball, Jeff Greenberg said, were able to marry those two together. So uh, a really interesting look. I'm biased, uh, but to spend some time around the Chicago Blackhawks and understand what they're up to and what they're building, check it out in just a couple hours on dailyfaceoff.com. Mike, uh, you had to be celebrating, waving your goalie union card in the air on Wednesday as the 2023 class for the Hockey Hall of Fame's inductees were announced. Three goalies part of the class, an unprecedented move to essentially right the wrongs that had existed at the goaltending position as the Hall of Fame prior to this point had sort of criminally undervalued the uh, contribution of goalies throughout the history of the game. Since 1967, prior to Wednesday, only 13 goalies from that era had been inducted into the hall, and they've changed that in a big way with the addition of Henrik Lundqvist, first-year eligible goalie, a slam dunk there. But Tom Barrasso and Mike Vernon, what'd you make of the decision? Well, I'm sitting here listening to the announcement from Mike Gardner, and I just thought, this, this is really happening because Tom, Bar- Tom Barrasso was the first name announced. And I went, holy cow, like goalie vindication. We got one in we didn't think was actually going to happen. And then it goes to Turgeon and gets to Mike Vernon, who I've been championing for a long time, thinking he belongs in with, uh, I mean, two cups, Con Smythe and you know, elected the All-Star game five times, like greatness when you need it. It's just this felt like. This was like goalie redemption day. And I think we finally beat it into people's heads enough as a goalie union that the goalies have been undervalued. I could just I could just hear Brian Burke sitting there going, 
<sighs> well, we got to make the goalies happy. Let's do it this year. You know, to just wipe the slate clean um, and, and get the folks in that that really, in my eyes, are on an even level to someone like a Pierre Turgeon, who spent 19 years in the league but finished the top 10 in the scoring once. Try to tell me goalies aren't more important than that player on occasion, right? And I don't mean that in a dismissive way to Pierre at all. Great player. Um, but this was a big day for goalies. And I think it does wipe the slate clean here. And it probably should open the door in the future, at least, to some goaltenders who may not necessarily have the hardware or longevity of others, but do belong in the hall. <coughs> Curtis Joseph uh, had right. better numbers than some of those guys in Barasso. That's who I thought it'd be in. I was shocked it wasn't Cujo. Maybe they were just going by guys that were most outstanding in terms of longest wait to this point, as Cujo hasn't had to wait quite as long. Congratulations as well, of course, to Pierre Turgeon, who I think Paul Paduti at Adjusted Hockey, if you're not following him already, said it best. A slow burn of a career, never a top five player at his position, but for... 12 consecutive seasons inside the top 20 as a forward is certainly impressive, as well as Caroline Ouellette, one of the most decorated women's players of all time, and the two builders, Pierre Lapoie, the two-time champion Colorado Avalanche, as well as Ken Hitchcock, a fantastic career from uh, 16U hockey in Edmonton all the way to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Let's uh, stay in Edmonton and let's talk Edmonton Oilers offseason with the All-32. Can't get enough of this guy. Jason Greger, my co-host on the DFO Rundown. We just taped episode 229 this morning. You can get that wherever you get your podcast. And Jason, want to talk to Edmonton Oilers offseason and where things stand. I think it's a fascinating summer ahead for Ken Holland. I think he's got a lot of different options and potential opportunities. Probably isn't going to be any seismic changes with this Edmonton team that seems ready to go into battle again next season. But my question for you is when you consider some of the different positional opportunities that might exist to improve, whether it's on the right side at forward, whether it's third line center, or potentially in your bottom pair defensively, what stands out to you as priority number one to try and bulk up for the Oilers? Well, I think the the two areas are they're going to look at can, can they somehow maybe tweak their the right defense? But that would be a significant move because it's likely going to mean Cody Cece's out. Uh, Bouchard's not going anywhere. And and I'm pretty bullish. I think Vincent DeHarnay is, is going to be the ultimate late developer with his size. And, you know, he has to improve his puck skills, and that's what he's going to do this summer. But Kyler Yamamoto is probably the one. I don't expect him here. So that means you've got a right-wing top six forward position, and you're going to either play with McDavid or Drysaddle. There is no right-wing position available in the NHL that's more attractive for a right-winger to get to play with either one of those two guys, right? So um, I, I, I'm curious if and if I'm Ken Holland, I'm using that. And I, I wonder if there's guys on the free agent market, you know, now Thomas Tatar shoots left, but he can play the right side. Would he assign a one-year deal, come here, pad your stats, have some success, and then who knows what happens? Now, the only unfortunate part about Tatar is – He's never really done anything in the playoffs, so th- that's an issue. Um, I don't think they need a third-line center. I think Ryan McLeod is the guy they're going to use as its center. He's got great speed, skates, kills penalties. You know, he gets the uh, the, the the crumbs on the second unit of the power play. But uh, I, I thought he really took a step in the playoffs last year. He's a young guy, and he'll just emerge. You know, he's probably going to get a $2 million deal around there this summer. So I think McLeod's their third-line center. They need a fourth-line center. 
and potentially some bottom guys if Clean Costin leaves to the KHL, which I think is probably low percentage chance. So I think right wing, though, in the top six, if I'm a right winger, and I know Connor Brown's name has been attached to Edmonton a lot, and it makes sense, that's the one change that, that could be significant. And it doesn't have to be a huge point guy because Edmonton score goals. They Scoring goals isn't their problem. They have to find a right winger who's good offensively but also reliable defensively there. Well, that's part of what I've been wondering about the Oilers is looking at that Pacific division. We've all learned how good Vegas was. It wasn't a fluke that that team was able to move on. And you have to look at your opponents. I mean, if you're the Edmonton Oilers and you're thinking about next season's Stanley Cup playoffs, how do you counter against a team like Vegas that was so crushingly good defensively, even though Edmonton's power play was that strong? How does Edmonton get to the point where they can defend well enough? Is it just on goaltending? Do we have to see Stuart Skinner take tangible steps or see a resurgence from Jack Campbell to do so? Well, I think goaltending will help, no question. But you go back and watch. That series was lost in games five and six, right? The first four were a wash. Each team split. Each team dominated the game. So Edmonton is equal. You get to games five and six. The first and the third period of both games... Edmonton was the better team. They gave up three goals in a buck 29 in the second period. They got undisciplined, and then they they had one bad breakdown. And then in game six, again, second period, they gave up three goals, and they made bad defensive errors, and not so much off of Vegas doing anything special, right? They had a Leon Dreisaitl turnover. They had another one where, you know, probably a point shot you'd like a save from your goalie. But I really think Edmonton, Mike, they were right there with Vegas. The difference was Vegas didn't beat themselves. And Edmonton talked about it. And, and and that, to me, is a mindset that will have to start the start of the season because they were Santa Claus for the first three months. They gifted more goals than any team in the NHL. And um, if you look at their numbers, Kevin Woodley told me they actually had the third highest expected save percentage of any goaltending team in the league because they didn't give up a lot. Yeah. Was The ones they gave up were so grossly bad that some goalies, I don't care if it's Vasilevsky, you're probably not stopping it. So better goaltending will help, but I just think better continual team defense has got to be their focus. My question for you, Jay, is how aggressive would you be? Like Ken Holland was aggressive at the deadline going out to get Matthias Ekholm, and I just feel my own personal opinion, like this is their year. Like you've got everyone lined up the way that you want it to, at least at this moment. Don't leave any stones unturned if it means going out and spending two first-round picks this summer, whatever it might be, to rejig your cap. Be as aggressive as you can. My question on a 1-10 to scale, how aggressive would you be if you're Ken Holland or do you think this is a team that doesn't really need a whole lot? Yeah, I think the summertime, I might be like a 7. I wouldn't be crazy, but I would ensure that I got a good right winger because I think at the deadline, that's when you'll know where your team defense is at. And if you need to say, okay, we're going to take, we're going to go and now get the right side defenseman equivalent to Matthias Echo. And then you would, you would give up the picks. You would sell the house then. So I wouldn't do it in the summer as much now. If, if, hey, if Brett Pesci's available on the rice price, uh, at the right price point, I'm, I'm looking strongly at Brett Pesci. I really like him. I'm probably biased. I think he's a really – he'd be an ideal. He knows how to defend first, and he's got a great cap. I just it's don't think he's going more to year, But the orders could re-sign him for six or seven mil next year when the cap goes up. So if you can get Brett Pesci this summer, I think that's the one realistic target. The rest are guys that maybe you look at at the deadline, excluding the right winger. I do think they can't go into the season again with a lot of question marks there. Just get a solid guy that's not only decent offensively, but is going to be reliable defensively. 
Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. I think that approach also makes a lot of sense, too. You also saw in the playoffs that what failed the Oilers wasn't McDavid or Dreisaitl not producing. Of course, they did. It was they just ran into some untimely injuries and players not at their peak and guys like Kane and Hyman speaking to the need to continue to surround these guys with the best talent possible. Thanks to Jason Greger for joining us today for the All-32 to talk Edmonton Oilers offseason, big things ahead in the YEG this summer. Thanks, Jason. Have a good one, fellas. All right, Mike, moving along to our Daily Faceoff inbox question of the day. If you are on our YouTube stream, thanks for throwing some questions into the chat using hashtag AskDFO. The chat is bumping today during today's stream, and I uh, appreciate everyone streaming along and also giving us a like and subscribe if you enjoy the show. Uh, Mike, so when it comes to the Winnipeg Jets, the one team we didn't talk about today that's facing some significant questions, what's the market like? Jay Tess wants to know, what's the market like for Mark Scheifele? Well, 40 goals scored, Frank, for a centerman who's under 30 years of age or right at it. He's just turned 30 at six million bucks for one year. I mean, this is easily first round in prospect territory and maybe then some. I would think, Frank, uh, what's your take on it? Yeah, I think it's a bargain AAV for next year at the very least. Um, if Even if you're only thinking about having this guy for one year, if you want to re-sign him for longer, great. But at, you know, essentially six million bucks or so, excuse me, for that kind of production, his level of production has been way higher than his cap hit on this entire contract. So yeah. I agree with you. I think if you're ranking the Jets in order of value, to me, it's still number one, um, Pierre-Luc Dubois, number two, Connor Hellebuck, only because teams traditionally don't get a lot for goalies and they're going to have to pay Hellebuck, as we talked about yesterday, on the back end of that. Three, Shifley, and four, a distant fourth, uh, Blake Wheeler. Tony Couture asks, is Edmonton out on the Eric Carlson trade talks? We know that Eric Carlson would like to move. We know that the San Jose Sharks would like to move him. My answer is I have been told that the Oilers and Sharks have not engaged on Eric Carlson to this point. Could change, but I don't think he's in their plans right now. What do you think? I, I don't care whether he's in the plans or not. I don't think that would be a smart move for the Oilers. Yeah, I, I could see why he'd be a game changer, really for any team at 100 points, but it's the cap hit and wedging that into your current structure that's problematic. Yeah, and defense. They yeah. still need defense in Edmonton. We just talked about that. So I don't see Carlson as a good fit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troy wants to know, what center are the Columbus Blue Jackets looking to acquire through a trade? And he says, thanks for the great content. Keep up the great content. So appreciate that, Troy. Thanks for watching. Um, I would say, I know he's been talked about, but man, what a fit Lindholm would be. I know it's not going to be for the number three overall pick, but geez, he kind of perfectly fits Columbus and their style and everything that goes with that, don't you think? Yeah, I had Lindholm right off the bat. We know Pierre-Luc Dubois is not going to go back to Columbus. They ain't getting married Um, again. Yeah, and, and like Kevin Hayes, I don't think is as good of a fit for that team either. I think Lindholm would be like a glove, especially when you think about you could reunite him with Johnny Gaudreau, potentially put Line on that on that line. Dude, that's scary to think about. So if I'm Yarmo Kekalain and I'm checking in on that one for sure. Shifley could fit too. What about Lindholm going back to Carolina? 
at least for one year before paying him. What about Lindholm to St. Louis? Lindholm's going to have suitors. Oh, man, the list is long. Yeah, big time. I would like that in Carolina, but that's a big dollar figure. That seems out of what they typically want to do. I don't know. Speaking of Pierre-Luc Dubois, Brian wants to know in the chat, anything Habs-related, he says he's desperate for info and (laughs) intel. Uh, Here's the thing on Dubois and the Habs. I think there's mutual interest. No surprise that there's a lot of interest from the Dubois side. The flame or the the Habs, excuse me, are are interested, but they also recognize that one year from now he's going to be a UFA and they could just get him on that market if they wanted to. So why would they then pay the Jets a haul on top of that to get a guy that they already know wants to come there? And they already have Nick Suzuki and Kirby Doc in house. So uh, I mean, who cares? Add him to the list. Let's go. That's it. Build down the know. middle. <laughs> you can only you can't always go where you want to go. It's easy to try to call that shot, but it's got to work for both sides. And I think Montreal is going to play this as smart as they possibly can if he they were to go for PLD. Is that like Mike McKenna wanting to play for the St. Louis Blues but didn't make it happen? I got a contract, Frank. It was 2012-13. I got the mask to show. Look at this. You know, well, you didn't. You, you don't didn't get the mask if a... you don't get paid. But I didn't play for the Blues, so that's what I meant. <laughs> I yeah, but you didn't make it into the lineup. No, I didn't. Some guy named Jake Allen got the call up over me. But I will say this: in my 14th year of pro, 13th year of pro hockey, I finally got to the Dallas Stars organization in Austin, and have been on my list forever. So I did get one of them. All right. Well, that's the perfect segue to garbage time, Mike, because. Calder Cup ended in dramatic fashion on Wednesday night. I was up late. It was after 1 a.m. Eastern time. Mike Vecchioni scores the game winner, the Calder Cup winner, Game 7 OT. What a way to send it off. Pretty awesome. My old teammate with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, um, happy for him. And, you know, it was a pretty amazing game because Coachella Valley went up 2 nothing, And Hershey managed to come back. They won in overtime. And... There's a couple After of After not to this. winning in Coachella Valley's building all series. Right. Um, so big deal there. And on top of that, you've got Todd Nelson, the coach of the Hershey Bears. This is his second Calder Cup. He also won in 2017 with Grand Rapids, former head coach of the Oilers, was an assistant in Dallas until recently. So another feather in his cap. And there's one player I want to highlight, and that's goaltender um, Joey Dacord for the losing Coachella Valley Firebirds. Even though Hunter Shepard won, the MVP of the playoffs for the Hershey Bears. Great job for him. Joey Decord carried the mail for Coachella Valley. He's a group six unrestricted free agent, Frank. I think he's going to get an NHL deal from somebody. I think he's going to get a one-way, and it might be a multi-year deal similar to what Charlie Lindgren got previously. It's a gut feeling for me. He's ready for the next step. He had a 926 save percentage in playoffs. has been very good in the American League the last couple of years. So that's a hot take on my behalf. We'll see if it happens. But congrats to the Hershey Bears on their 12th Calder Cup championship in the American Hockey League. Yeah, I would. don't know how much of a hot take that is. By the way, the Seattle Kraken trying to move Chris Dreger as well. He was the backup to Joey Decord for this playoff run. Don't know if that's going to be able to happen, but the Kraken are looking to move that contract. Lots of movement on the goalie front coming up. Uh, as you mentioned, congrats to the Hershey Bears. Hockey Town, Hershey Town, PA, uh, 12 Calder Cups, the longest running AHL franchise. Quite an operation there. So congratulations to everyone. Love to see that hardware handed out. There's a lot of story and tradition behind that Calder Cup. Mike, that'll do it for today's edition of Daily Faceoff Live. We'll be back 12 noon Eastern on Friday. So much happening around the NHL. Keep it on dailyfaceoff.com for all the latest news, insight, 
and analysis from around the league. Have a good one. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.